0: In some instances, there could be people that need to pay off a line of credit before their mortgage closes or something like that. So for the broker that I was working with, sometimes it could be, you know, short-term business loan for someone, someone that needed these other short-term loans. So say, for example, they've got 20 grand on their line of credit. They need a two-week bridge loan before their mortgage closes. So they might be willing to spend $2,000 to wipe that clean so that their mortgage can close. So you're kind of fulfilling that need for them or...
1: This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Our guest today is Serena Holmes. She's a realtor, active real estate investor. She brings a wealth of experience from her 18 year tenure uh, as a founder and award winning brand experience agency, Tigris Events. She's also the author of The Accidental Entrepreneur, a book that chronicles her journey from a troubled childhood to becoming a successful entrepreneur. With a passion for family, travel, health, fitness, uh, wildlife, and sustainability, Serena sh- shares her insights and expertise uh, in real estate and investing. Uh, and, and you know, we dive into a really a, a skill set that she's developed around private lending. Uh, it's something that I, I know I don't hear our investors really talk about that much, or just that option. And she's going to expose that to you today Uh, So maybe you're, you know, this is a way that you can diversify uh, as a passive investor. Maybe you're across a number of of deals as a general or as a limited partner. And then this may give you another avenue uh, depending on your risk tolerance. Uh, But she's going to help you understand a little bit of that today and maybe open your eyes to something or a different type of investing. So let's dive in. Serena, welcome to the show. You have some skills that I bet our listeners are are not as familiar with or or different options for investing that are at least one specifically that we're going to dive into that that I bet they don't know is out there and you've become an expert in this and and been very successful. So I want to jump in, but man, who is Serena and welcome to the show.
0: Great. Thanks for having me.
1: Tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and let's jump in there a little bit of background and, and then let's dive into how you got into private lending. Uh, you know, and kind of your path to there. Uh, but then, man, what that could do for uh, other investors, right? It is just exposing them to this, this platform.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um so I had my own brand experience agency for 18 years and I actually sold that just at the beginning of last year. I had tried to sell it just before COVID, no one knew COVID was coming, so it was very horrible timing. Um I listed it for sale and we went into lockdown about 2 weeks later. So I kept the business going over the span of a couple of years and finally sold it last year just so that I could focus on my family and you know go into real estate full time and as you mentioned I've done a lot of private lending so I also had Many other sources of income to depend on. That I kind of, um, you know, found my path to that through a client actually that I was staffing events for in Texas and Florida, and they have um, kind of like a real estate education company. So they teach a lot of beginner investors all the different concepts associated with real estate investing. And I happened to talk to a girlfriend of mine about it, and she has her own hair salon, and she's like, you know what? I got introduced you to my mortgage broker. I do private lending with him, and I actually make more money doing that than I do from my business. And at this point in time, you know, I was obviously getting into all of this stuff, but I was also looking to start a family. So I wanted to decrease my dependency on income for my business so that when I took a step back, you know, I was worried would sales go down? Like, you know, I just wanted to leave as much money as I could in the company. So I started working with her her mortgage broker and also another one that I did some syndicated mortgages with. And in the first year, I was able to cut my pay in half and then. Introduce COVID, <laughs> so I didn't want to take any money out of my business at all, so I was able to dial up the private lending that I was doing, and then at the beginning of last year, like very significantly scaled it. Um, you know, I've been doing probably between three to six deals a year, and I think last year I did 26. So I've just now confirmed, I think I signed like my 59th deal in the last couple of weeks, so I just keep the money moving like as, as things are coming to an end.
1: Wow, uh, 26 deals last year. Uh, that's a lot. Right. (laughs) Uh, And I see, you know, I I guess, uh, you know, let's walk through, why don't we a little more elementary approach for just a moment? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, what is private lending and and what is this, you know, how could our investors who are listening even consider thinking about doing something like that?
0: Yeah. So from a a mortgage broker's perspective, um, in some instances, there could be people that need to pay off a line of credit before their mortgage closes or something like that. So for the broker that I was working with, sometimes it could be you know, short-term business loan for someone, someone that needed these other short-term loans. So say, for example, they've got 20 grand on their line of credit, they need a two-week bridge loan before their mortgage closes. So they might be willing to spend $2,000 to wipe that clean so that their mortgage can close. So you're kind of fulfilling that need for them or like I said, it could be a business owner that maybe they need money for whatever period of time. So some of those loans have been principal and interest. So one of my first deals was for $45,000. It was 20% interest. So I got a a ratio of the payment towards the principal and then the interest monthly over the span of two years. You know, In most instances, they even paid it off early because they don't want to be paying that high interest longer than they have to. Um, And then in some cases, they could also be interest only loans. So that would be common with like land developers, people that are renovating single family or multifamily properties. And then when the property refinances, they pay back their investors and then take out the additional money in terms of equity as as profit for themselves. So it varies in terms of the needs that people may have. And like I said, I just try to work with as many people as possible to kind of insulate uh, my risk in that sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to get to like the different types of maybe asset classes, things that you're lending towards. Oh, let's just do that now. What, are, what does it normally look like? Uh, and then, you know, how do these people find you? But, uh, you know, go into what they're doing as well.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, everyone's risk tolerance is different. Um, the majority of what I've done is unsecured private lending. So that would make a lot of people very nervous. Um, That being said, there's almost always real estate involved. So there is a level of tangibility. And most of the agreements that I have still have a property reflected in the agreement. So while you may not be registered on title like a first position mortgage, there's still a property usually reflected in that agreement. So I feel like if push came to shove, that's usually what you'll do. But then I'll take added measures to verify their identity, that they're on title, of the property that's listed, um, credit checks make sure if they're renovating they have builders insurance and there's other things that I'll do and you know often have a, a lot of trusted referrals so I'm like in the most risky boat because I'm chasing the the interest you know uh, initially I was loaning out when I had three percent on my HELOC now it's seven percent so I want to have those 20 percent returns because you need to make that spread um, other options for people could be like a first position mortgage or they could do something like an equity partner, whether it's joint venturing on a project, where they're an actual shareholder in in the property. Um, and sometimes you'll see situations where it's like a GPLP structure, so the working partner is a general partner, and you'll come in as a limited partner, so you're shielded from risk. And I have a couple of those as well. And um, you know, they're they're fairly common. They're more complex and expensive to set up, but they're, you know, there are some of those floating out there as well.
1: Yeah, I, I guess uh, you know. Uh, some investors, I'm sure they're listening, like, why why would I become a private lender versus just investing in a syndication, you know, or being Mm -hmm. more passive?
0: Yeah, so I guess it depends on, like I said, your risk tolerance plays into it. So a lot of first position mortgages, what I've seen, they'll be like 10 to 13% in terms of interest, the unsecured private lending, more like 14 to 20%. So again, if you're just coming in with cash, maybe you want to make sure like you've got 100% security and stuff like that. Um, like I said, I just try to work with a lot of different people and like touch wood. (laughs) The only thing that's really gone a little bit wrong is the syndicated mortgages that I invested with. And at the time I did three and they were laddered with a 12 month, 18 month and 24 month term. And the issue is that it's been very significantly delayed. So in this instance, a mortgage brokerage, um, kind of misrepresented themselves in some ways. Like I thought that they were brokering deals for other borrowers. And it turns out that they actually had some of their own deals in the pot, some were land development. And basically one and a half of those deals has now gone on for five years. Um, They are still paying the front end interest, but they've even said in the most recent update, they might need two more years. So what should have been like an 18 month term could go to seven years. So for me, all the other private lending I've done paid off what I put into that. But you could imagine if someone had just done that, you know, no one knew COVID was coming. So what if they needed that money back, right? So right. a delay like that could have been a lot more challenging for some people compared to what I experienced. But my learning from that was not to put as much money into a deal because I did about 335000 between three deals then. Now I don't do more than 50000 a deal. And it also had split interest. So it was 15%, half of it's paid up front, half at the back end whenever that back end occurs. Um, and now you know, they've said there's a possibility that backend interest could be compromised because it's gone on for so long. So I generally don't touch anything that has that kind of a split interest circumstance anymore.
1: Speak to um maybe some of the the risks that, you know the the investor wouldn't even know to ask or think through, right? Uh, just to understand if it's if if it it's their risk tolerance,
0: yeah. I mean, in this instance, they had in their paperwork that they could extend for six months twice. Um, and as it turns out, as long as they're paying that front-end interest, like, it could go on and on and on. And as I've also learned in a GP LP situation, the same thing, like they could put a window on it, but because of that specific arrangement, it's not like there's a there should be a defined end, but it could go on longer and there's nothing the LP could do in that circumstance. I think if you really want out, the GP might be able to replace you, but at the end of the day, there is that chance that things can go on longer than anticipated. So I think that's why I've liked some of the general security agreements. Like it's a very specific Fixed date. Um, in some cases, the borrowers have asked, you know, do you want to keep your money in and roll it over to another term, or do you want to be paid out? So, if you want to be paid out, they'll usually just replace you. They're not just going to kind of hold you hostage in the deal. So, I think that's, you know, one of the elements. I think obviously, in the the worst case scenario, you can always lose your money. Um, I did talk to an investor that had put hundred thousand dollars into a deal with an actual like real estate investing coach that she had. And the bank foreclosed on the property. And even though there should have been enough equity to pay her out, the bank charged like $250,000 in fees because it had to foreclose and she wasn't able to get her money out. So even though there was a property, there should have been that equity. There was like, you know, that situation. And I think she did try to pursue him legally, but because he has a lot of different corporations set up and stuff like that, she was never able to recover it. So I think, you know, it's wise never to invest more money than you're willing to lose. And just, like I said, do smaller amounts if you can and just work with with more. So in most instances, minimums are 50, some are 25. You know, some could even be lower. It just really depends on who you're working with.
1: Speak to uh, analyzing the opportunities uh, and how they find you.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, initially I was proactively trying to find those opportunities. So I was introduced to a lot of people and I would just feel them out in a lot of ways. Like they're obviously recommended, but what are their terms? How are they explaining things? Like, am I comfortable with the way that they're going to communicate with investors? Some of them will provide updates on like private groups for their investors, showing progress of those properties and stuff like that. So you can feel confident knowing like they're actually doing the work. They're not just taking your money and, and who knows. Um, so I think that played into some of that. And again, um, I would look them up to make sure that they're on title in some instances. So I get their identification, double check. In some cases, like I even saw an extra person on title, so I'd ask that that person be added to the agreement. So there could be things like that. It's always good practice to run credit checks, get copies of insurance, and stuff like that. So it just depends on who they are and what they're doing with the money. But now, I think because I have been on different podcasts talking about these opportunities, now it's you know more and more people have have come to me just. Presenting those opportunities, and that way, in some instances, I can share those with other people that are looking for opportunities that may not be in these investing communities and stuff like that.
1: What's your normal? Uh, I guess your comfort level around the terms that you're offering, you know, and length uh, length of the of the uh, investment.
0: Yeah, I would say a year is generally my preference, just because again, life can happen and change, right? So. I don't want to commit to something that could be like three years or five years. Or I even saw one recently that was for 10 years. And I was like, oh, like, <laughs> this is so much that can happen in 10 years. So I just feel like that was a little too long. And I understand why it was set up that way. Um, like it was more of a buy and hold strategy with equity partners. But it just, to me, that was just too long. And, and even if you decide that you do stay in for 10 years, I still would want that option that I could exit in a year or two, and maybe roll it over continually rather than be just locked into something like that. So that's my personal preference, but it just depends on on what somebody wants. Um, and then now a lot of people, at least here in Canada, are coming up with mutual fund trusts. So those are, you know, set up where it's like, groups of properties, and they can also take registered funds. So for us, RSPs, TFSAs, and stuff like that. So you can just find higher yield opportunities that could be in the range of 22, 26, 30%. And you're kind of putting that into your registered funds for more of like a long-term savings.
1: What do you see as far as, uh, you know, are, are, are there trends that uh, that are beneficial to, you know, your space or in private lending that you see happening?
0: Yeah, I mean I think that the MFTs are huge. Like just in the last 2 months I feel like I've seen half a dozen or more pop up and I think they're coming up for a number of reasons, maybe to do with some security compliance, um, you know, to give some assurances to investors in a different kind of way. I think being able to take registered funds is a very big deal because someone could want to grow their funds but if they're in a high income tax bracket, they may not want that monthly return. Like for me I wanted that and I can structure my the money that I make from my businesses and leave it in my corpse. But for someone that could work for the government or some other type of business or job, you know, they may not want to see that money coming in. Right. So I think there's a number of different reasons. Um, I would say that's probably the biggest trend that I've noticed just recently.
1: Uh, I mean, I was thinking about, you know, somebody getting into this space, Uh, what should they be doing to to learn or to be able to be a private lender like yourself, but Mm -hmm. not get burned. Right. You know, learns. uh, There's so many things, right. You don't know what you don't know. uh, And, uh, but how did you learn? How did you, Uh, feel the confidence to start doing this?
0: Yeah, I think just trusted referrals was a big thing. So the first person that I worked with was a referral from a very good friend of mine. And he was like a close family friend. So it started there. And then now I've been in this real estate investing community for the past five years. And then it's expanded beyond there where I'm part of a mastermind now. I've also joined another real estate investors community. There are some private groups on Facebook that share some of those opportunities. And I even connected with someone recently that you know, she calls herself the private lending queen and she even has a course to teach people about how to do the property diligence, how to find the deals and stuff. So now I'll just even send people to her because it's something she's had vetted by a lawyer. Like she's really passionate about like educating people in that space. And then she also has kind of a private group just to share opportunities and you can kind of see the deal flow and just get a sense of, you know, what kind of things are out there. But I think just by building that network and building your community, that's, that's probably the best place to start.
1: How do you determine uh, interest rates?
0: They usually offer them. So there have been some I turned down, like if it's too low, again, with my HELOC, like I'm I'm paying it. So it's a cost of doing business in a way. So, you know, there were deals I did that were in the 12 and 14% range at the beginning of last year, which was fine when I was paying 3%. But now I've rolled those over into things that are like 17, 18%. So I think a lot of the active investors have seen that they have to be more competitive now. And it's kind of, you know, all the rates have kind of consistently gone up in the last year as the regular interest rates have gone up.
1: What about uh, your typical, uh, say, loan to value, loan to cost ratios?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't always necessarily even look into those. Like in some instances with the mortgage brokers, they will present kind of that full scope of what's going on. But in other cases, look at the land developer. Like how are you looking at like a loan to, to debt or loan to value ratio, right? Like they could have construction financing set up and then they support You know, other needs that they may have with private lending. So, for example, if they want to pre buy materials so that they don't have any like labor delays and supply shortages and stuff like that, you know, I don't know how you would necessarily look at it in that perspective, but there are some mortgage brokers that will show you if you want to come in at a first position mortgage, then, you know, at 100% loan to value, they'll kind of give like a higher amount because it's considered more risky. So, it could be like 12 or 13%. Something that's like 80, 20 could be in the range of 10%. And again, oftentimes these are investors that can't get qualified from the banks because their portfolio of single family homes is too too large. Like anything over mm-hmm. four of the banks here tend to turn you away. Um, or, you know, there could be a number of different reasons. Maybe they even want to get qualified faster. So going to private lending route could be easier than going through the banks.
1: Yeah. Is there a, uh, like a specific kind of client that you're that you look for? I was just trying to think through like what's the what's yeah. the evolution of the types of clients that, that you're working with or, you know, does that grow? Does that, you know, are yeah. you looking to grow into different asset classes or different, I don't know, larger loans, yeah. you know?
0: I actually prefer to work with the companies where you know the people that are involved. Like there's some people that I loaned into last year and, you know, I've gotten to know them now because we're all in this mastermind together. And if I have a concern, I can like call them directly and speak to them. And I found that, you know, with the other uh, company that had the syndicated mortgages, like we can't even talk to them anymore. Like there was another company that got involved. And, you know, I think just they're so big that you don't know who you're talking to. Now we can't even talk to them. So I feel like, you know, you're just one of a a large number. So I actually prefer more of that personal approach where you know who you're dealing with mm-hmm. and, you know, you even get to know their families and you know, through the community, they're very well known. So I, I feel like I would prefer some of those to some of the companies that are big and maybe overleveraged or have taken on too much to really, you know, you feel like you don't really matter as an investor. So, you know, there are these delays that they could probably pay out investors with profits from other deals, but they're not right. So I think it's just, I prefer this. The, I personally just prefer the smaller <laughs> So yeah. there are pros and cons to both sides of it.
1: For sure. Uh, what about, uh, you know, do you have any predictions just for the real estate market or or lending or Uh, The Fed, what's the Fed going to do with interest rates or anything like that over the next, say, 6, 12, 18 months?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of speculation as to what's going on with it. And I think one of the biggest challenges that real estate investors had in this last year was they no one expected the interest rates to go up. And even if they went into something conservatively, just nobody... Really saw that coming, um, so I know there's been some cash crunches with people, and you know even refinancing is taking a lot longer. I think for what we're hearing here, there there could be like incrementally small increases, and then hopefully by the end of the year things will go back down. But for the real estate investors, a lot of them are using a product now called MLI Select. And you know they're using CMHC financing, which allows them to have much lower interest rates on larger properties like multifamily and apartment buildings. And they can also amortize a lot longer so they could go up to 50 years. Um, And then there's also a new bill here called Bill 23 that's been introduced. So it's basically allowing repeals to go directly to site plan approval, depending on the nature of the the project. So it's expediting things for real estate investors to get projects done more quickly and stuff like that. So I think overall, it's, it's not as bad maybe as what it looks like. And even though we had that dip in the market for a year, like things have really swung back up again in the last month or two, like another 15 to 20% increase. So we'll kind of see where it goes. But I think, um, you know, hopefully interest rates should be going back down for us anyways, by the end of the year.
1: What's the challenge in your business right now?
0: One one of the challenges is just like for at least as a realtor, um, you know, sellers had this expectation based on what prices were like last year, and then things dipped, but they still want to see the same sales prices as they saw at the beginning of last year. So I think managing those expectations has been hard. And then on the flip side, because things have heated up again in the last couple of months, a lot of buyers are seeing those multiple offers, things going over asking again. So, you know, things are swinging that other direction, but it makes it really challenging for buyers because they're not... You know, it it makes the affordability very, very difficult. Um, I even have a client right now that she could afford a bigger mortgage, but the banks won't approve it. So her sister had to come on board for a mortgage um just because with the rates along with the housing prices, it you know, she's not passing the stress mm-hmm. test. So I think people are are struggling in that in that sense more than they have in the last 10 to 15 years. What
1: are some of the most important metrics that you track? And it could be personal or or professional, Uh, either one, it could be how many times you get out of bed on time to, uh, you know, how many times you're exercising or, you know, how many many offers you're looking at or deals you're looking at.
0: Yeah, I mean, I actually like to track everything. So like I have a very detailed budget where, you know, it's almost like payday because I have so many different loans. So it's all the different due dates, who the uh, borrowers are, what the amount of the term was, what the interest rate was, then I sum everything coming in. And then I also track what Uh, payment cycle it is. So is it like five of 10? So I can see as they're kind of coming to the end, so I can find fresh opportunities and stuff like that. And then ideally, I want to see like, what's in my bank, what's coming in less my expenses. And then I always put more money towards a principal on my home equity line, just so that, you know, it's almost like a forced savings plan. So when some of those loans come back, I've always paid down more than I've actually borrowed for. So I end up having like lump sums of money that I can put towards other things.
1: Nice. What about some habits that you are disciplined about that have produced a hash return for you?
0: I think just building the network. Like initially, you know, I had the different people I worked with. And then because I'm part of these groups in this mastermind, I'm surrounded by so many people raising money. So now every time I see a deal, I just add it to my list. So now my list of people that are constantly borrowing money because they're the active partners doing stuff, um, you know, I started tracking all that. And then on the flip side, all the people that reach out to me asking, you know, how do I do this? Because I was like, well, if I can't do it, then maybe someone else can do it. And I've just tried to like, you know, not play matchmaker, but just try to provide a mutually beneficial introduction if that's helpful. And, you know, I still would encourage people like have the same calls that I would have see who you're comfortable with. Like, Just because I'm comfortable with them doesn't mean you will, or my needs could be very different than your needs. So you still have to weigh out what those options are like. But I try to give them some resources. I've introduced them to a lawyer that specializes in private lending law here in Toronto. So they've got support from someone that kind of works with investors and knows what to look for because the average lawyer would be like, what are you doing? Like, Don't do this. right?" But it doesn't mean you can't. You just have to know you've got to take calculated risks and know what you're walking into, um, you know, there's really no more um, risk to me than there is by being in the stock market, like the weather could change and the stock market goes down, right? So at least there's some tangibility in the sense that it's everything's real estate focused.
1: How do you like to give back?
0: Um, So I used to give back a lot more than I do now, just because I'm a busy three year old. (laughs) So I just don't really have as much time as I used to. Um, But I have sat on different boards. I even spent a couple weeks volunteering with um, elephants that were rescued in Thailand. (laughs) So I've definitely done like different things. But um, yeah, it's a little more challenging with a small family now.
1: Wow, uh, Serena, I'm grateful to have met you and to have you on the show and really expose our our investors to something different, right? Uh, you know, a different way that they p- could potentially use their capital uh, or do some private lending uh, and learn from somebody like yourself. So how could they get in touch with you and learn more about you?
0: Yeah. Uh, so I have an Instagram profile um, at Serena Homes realtor. So I do share a lot of investor focused um, articles and information and then just really anything and everything related to real estate and the home.